Welcome, everybody. Welcome to today's live stream. We're going live a little bit early because there was like 24 of you waiting in the uh, in the live stream. So welcome, everybody. Let us know where you're uh, joining from today. Walker, where are you joining from today? I am outside of Chicago. I am on site with a uh, client this week. So I'm doing phase one and phase two um, after a DTMA. So um, we are finalizing MES capabilities for this client and they have a couple of um, CapEx projects going on. And so we're working with the engineers who are in charge of those projects to um, bring them up to speed on minimum technical requirements for this organization's IoT infrastructure. Um, so that, uh, in fact, one of these projects is a multi-million dollar automation project, ton of robotics in it where they're streamlining a manual process. And um, they will be able to, at the same time that we're doing the industry 4.0 proof of concept, where we're building a unified namespace for this, this organization, when this multi-million dollar production line goes in goes live in January that another engineer is running, um, the vendor, uh, while they're doing site, the SAT, doing the site acceptance test, they will literally turn the equipment on and um, it'll publish everything right into the unified namespace, uh, collecting and tracking data immediately. We'll also be visualizing all the MES capabilities. So it's pretty, pretty slick. I think it's... Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Um, it's nine stations, two robots running on a track back and forth. Um, 11 total things of automation. Yeah, 11 total steps of automation. Um, awesome. Uh, pretty, pretty impressive. Ooh, so anyway, that's what, I'm doing. that's what I'm doing on site this week. So Welcome, Dan, um, Mario, Liam. Hey, Vaughn, good to see you on LinkedIn. <laughs> Everybody connect with, connect with Vaughn on LinkedIn. Um, how's, Parker, every, how's everyone going? Parker says he's uh, from Denver, Colorado, and he's ready to learn. Actually, awesome. let's just, I mean, th this actually no, is kind of one of the first questions that we had on the, um, on, you know, what you're talking about is one of the first questions that we want to get to after we kind of do our community updates is like, you know, let's say you're starting to discuss an automation electrical controls project for a new site or a new facility what approach should you take to lay the foundation for an industry 4.0, you know, being at the forefront of this process uh, when you're in the planning phase? That's the first can question. We're gonna get. Yeah. Can you clarify? So the question is, all right, so I'm, I'm part of a proposed automation project, right? Is that the, the baseline yeah. here? This I'm, one, yeah. I'm part of a proposed automation project and what are the steps that I need to take? Um, in order to um, make sure that that project that I'm doing, that automation project I'm doing, is going to be industry 4.0 ready? Is that an easy way of saying it? Yes. Technically, it's from the perspective of an integrator. This person actually happens to be in our mastermind, and it's one of the clients he works is working with is looking at a greenfield site to replace two existing sites, and they're in the discussion of the automation and controls for the new site. What approach should they take so they get the okay. proper foundations for Industry 4.0 at the forefront of their thinking when planning the new site? Please. Great question. Great question. So, um, so well, let me let me. Did you put this in the? So for we're gonna. This is just letting everyone know what the question is. We'll get to it yeah. in a second. We're gonna do our normal yeah. updates in, right now. Yeah. So for the community, I'm on site with a client um, this week. I'm. Uh, we flew in yesterday. I'm. I'm here until Thursday morning jam-packed with meetings to finalize. So we did a DTMA for this customer. Um, um, and they have decided to move forward with the proof of concept. And we will be doing the proof. Well, Intel could be doing the proof of concept. And so part of the, the engagement was, was after we delivered the digital transformation maturity assessment and they got their score, um, and their score was, you know, below the mean. They were, they were if you looked at them, industry 4.0-wise, they're really behind the curve. If you look, they were definitely left of the mean on the distribution. Uh, we proposed the proof of concept that sort of unifies two, two different plants that they have, two completely different processes, but one feeds into the other. One creates a subassembly that goes into the assembly process in another facility. Um, 
we recommended our proof of concept is basically digital strategy, minimum technical requirements, um, and then MES capabilities, because they're a lot of what they're looking for is real time um, visibility to their processes. A lot of it's traceability. They want to be able to track. They want to be able to track and trace the sub assemblies to the finished products that they ship to their good, their customers, um, and they want full integration into their um, ME, uh, into their ERP system. And in this case, uh, JD Edwards. So um, we're we've picked two projects. We've picked two capital projects that they're doing to do this integration on. One is in the sub-assembly area, one is over here in the assembly area. And I'm on site this week to finalize all those capabilities because they have these active projects going on. The engineers who are in charge of these projects, one of them is a you know multi-million dollar um, automation project where they're basically taking a really unsafe manual process um, and they're um, you know leveraging automation to really do two things. A, engineer out the safety risk, um, they want to reduce cycle times um, by literally by half. They want to get the cycle time cut in half um, and they want to collect data. They want to be able to predict failures and, and what have you. And so, you know, it's a, it, I'm on site this week, you know, finalizing doing phase one and two and finalizing the requirements before uh, we turn this over to Alec, who will complete the proof of concept, which in this case is going to take probably four months altogether. Right. Um, so it's actually apropos, that question that just came up is actually apropos because it's, it's the same answer that we gave this client. So I'll, I'll go ahead and do that here in a couple of minutes. But before we get started, so forgive me, guys, I, I literally, I had a meeting with this client right up until we went on the Q&A and we got permission from them to, for me to join the Q&A in their big conference room here. So it's actually, there's a big, huge whiteboard over here that's got everything sketched out. I wish I could... Uh, share it with you guys, but, um, I, I'm pretty sure that that will be frowned upon. Um, so I, I, I haven't prepared for the Q and a, those guys put together the list and I, I said, you know, don't ask me too hard questions. So I want to start with the community last Let's week. Keep it organic. Leave your questions in the community below or in the comments below as always. Right. Right. So there was, so a couple things. So if you guys had watched the Q and a last week, um, the live Q and a, so some interesting things that kind of stand out that live that Q and a that we did last week was obviously one of the, you know, it, it got a huge uh, response and, you know, I, I mean the, if you look at the number of people who watched and how long they watched for the average watch time was really, really long. And it was when we discussed the, you know, we we're talking about OPCUA and, and QTT, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, you, what you may have noticed is, you know, I'm, I, I'm not a big fan of like putting restriction on language. So I'll drop an F bomb here and there. I believe strongly in using language to evoke emotion, right? But I was, I was a little, one of the things that's kind of interesting is I was uh, a little more fired up last week than I normally am when I get on these calls. And, um, and, and I, I, you know, but the engagement was obviously a lot higher. And so obviously there was content in the, in the Q and A that we did last week that has resonated with people. Um, and um, so for the community, for you guys, are there any questions, any follow-up questions from last week from the OPC UA discussion that we had last week? Um, are there any questions I can answer on that? Anything you guys want me to clarify from those videos last, last week? Um, and then uh, number two, um, is that a topic? Is, is the OPC, are the technical, getting into the technical details of things, is, or is that something we should do more of? I mean, in general, I try not to get too technical in any of our forward-facing content because we're trying to speak to a very broad audience and change, you know, educate a really, really broad audience, not just engineers. So is the type of discussion we had last week, is that a type of discussion that the community would like to see more of? It's specifically getting into technical details under the hood. Um, all right, let me share my screen while you guys are more technical, maybe another channel. It's a good question, Dowdell, or a good point. Um, all right, let me go ahead and do this. And let me go here. All right, so community spotlight this week. We don't have a community spotlight. We did have one planned. It's actually going to be a really good one. Um, but um, we, couldn't, uh, we couldn't get the approvals for the person to come on. 
um, that they couldn't get the approval. So um, um, Community Spotlight, Dan Riken, he's scheduled for those guys. Quick reminder, uh, Arlen Nipper is going to be joining study group one at the end of the month, uh, the Saturday morning meeting. So if you guys um, are interested in participating in that conversation, I would strongly suggest you reach out to Dan Riken. I can only imagine how many people have reached out for the invite to that meeting. Um, <laughs> week at, um, at the end of next week, we're doing the PLC Next Workshop for all the people in mentorship and mastermind. So we're going to be taking a PLC Next, which we've got in our office in Dallas. We're going to be integrating into the unified namespace, and we're going to show basically two things, you know, um, edge-driven nation up into the UNS, and then also leveraging the unified namespace for um, PLC Next to consume some data. That's August 26th at 8 o'clock in the morning. So I think that's next Friday, right? It's Thursday. next Thursday. Next, next Thursday. Thursday. That is a four-hour session for the Mastermind and Mentorship group. However, if people who are not in Mastermind or Mentorship want to join, we have a have the ability to do that. Um, and that will obviously post something in the Discord server. Um, shout out to Dave Schultz. <laughs> Um, he heading to Washington, D.C. this week with family, brought his favorite travel mugs with him, Phoenix Contact and Opto22. It's oh. funny, I use that Opto22, I use that Opto22 Tumblr basically every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, connecting the PLC next to the UNS. That'll be, again, next week. Some updates. We, got, we broke 11,000 subscribers on YouTube. Um, we have over 2,300 members in the Discord server. I was looking the other day. Of the 2,300 members of the Discord server, over 60% are active at least once a week. So that means over 1,200 people, right? Yeah, uh, shout lot. out to our sponsor. Yeah, shout out to our sponsors, PLC, our Phoenix Contact, specifically PLC Next and Irish Sharp. They sponsored our summer launch with all the swag packs and all that stuff. Um, the, this month's sponsor of the channel is EMQX. We actually shot a couple of spots. Um, for EMQX, if you guys don't know, they're an enterprise um, broker, um, actually super, super high performance enterprise broker that supports broker clustering. Um, I'm a, a huge, huge fan. We're actually going to do a, a podcast with these guys because they have some challenges in the market um, that I, I want to talk to who, who's um, their fearless leader about how do, they, how do they overcome these challenges You know, when going to market in North America. Um, EasyVPN is the sponsor for um, next month, um, and we're going to be doing. We're going to actually be demoing the uh, what, what is the the Edge product they called? Sorry, Zach. The EasyVPN. What's their Edge gateway? IO Hub. IO Hub. IO Hub. Right. Um, and then Canary is the sponsor for um, October. Um, training updates. We got 277 members in mentorship. I've got eight people have submitted their zipped VMs for uh, their practicals, they've completed their practicals. Um, and for mentorship, we'll be connecting the PLC next to UNS. Mastermind, we've got 69 members. We, they will all, Mastermind will also be part of the integration this month. And we'll also be uh, training on disruptive leadership development. So we're actually gonna be doing a presentation on, you know, what type of disruptive leadership does it take to lead in industry 4.0 initiatives? Quick, quick question. Um, go ahead, buddy. Without without spoiling it, do you have any uh, insight onto the keynote that you're going to be giving at that roadshow? At the Canary Labs, right? I was going to get to, so Teaser. next week, uh, next week, guys. So or next month, September 13, 14, and 15 in Chicago, Canary. The Canary Roadshow is going to Chicago, and and um, I was actually show, the showing the client here, the, the, the client that we're visiting, they're going to be attending. And I was showing them, Hey, going through the architecture, listen, on day two, we're going to be doing a soup to nuts integration up 22 on the edge up through, uh, fa uh, factory studio and canary. If you guys haven't noticed today, if you go on Tatsoft's LinkedIn today, they announced the Tatsoft canary partnership where they have a new offering. They're going to be shipping, Factory Studio with Canary Labs Historian bundled um, in Factory Studio. Um, and so Tatsoft is partnering with uh, Canary Labs on the roadshow next month. But Opto22, Canary Labs, Factory Studio, Tassibox for the VPN, the remote access. INS3 is going to be showing how to consume from the Hive MQ broker, which we'll be using. 
consume from the Hive MQ broker into a their cloud-based MES offering. Uh, INS3 is an integrator based in Chicago. Um, and um, they've got a like a cloud MES that they're going to integrate. And we're going to do this whole thing on day two, soup to nuts. That's it. So if there's any if there's any event you're going to travel to, I think it's like 40 bucks for the seat. It's I mean, it's basically nothing. That's the one you want. Um, I mean, that's the one that you absolutely want to go to. So highly recommend that. Let me answer a couple of questions here. Yeah, we got a couple of good still, ones. Do you still insist that OPC way is not open? It's not report by exception, and it's not light enough to make usable. Yes, one-way automation. To answer your question, OPC UA is not open. Okay, let me let me let me say absolutely. And you guys will get a chance. To, that that doesn't mean that it, that OPC UA is um, OPC UA is partially open. <laughs> Okay. It's not that it isn't partially open. It's not that, um, it, um, it's not that, it, that it, you can't leverage, it's not that you can't leverage OPC UA to make open products. Okay. But what it means is that OPC, OP, the OPC foundation is, is their number one goal isn't for interoperability for all industrial solutions across the planet. That's not their no, that's not their priority. It's not one of their top three priorities. And we shot a, a whole bo a whole ton of content last week where I go into detail on these things. So um, yes, but to answer your question, the one way automation, do I insist OPC UA is not open? Yes, it's not open. Here's why. It's entirely possible to create two separate products that have the OPC logo on them that don't even fucking talk to each other. Okay? <laughs> I mean I, I can't believe that I have to continue, you know, to, to uh, chime in on Joe, that. Joe, Joe Hans, right? Maybe they could revisit last week's recording. Um, but yes. we did do a video on what is open. But real quick, what is open? Uh, in fact, why don't why, let's have one way automation go watch that video? And what I'd like to do is whoever it is on one way, just reach out to us and let's have a a conversation. I, I'm happy to have a, a meeting with you. We can even record it and share it with the community if you want to, where we can go into the details. You know, whether this is, is this a semantical argument? I mean, if you, I don't know if, if one way automation is a member of the uh, discord community um, or not, but I mean, I, we spent, I spent hours and hours and hours last week going back and forth with another member of the community. And, um, that is rather the exception than the rule when they can't communicate. Well, it doesn't matter whether it's an exception or a rule. It matters that it's possible. <laughs> I mean, that at the end of the day, that's what matters. You know what I mean? And again, I'm not anti. I'm not anti OPC UA. Let me let me make something perfectly clear. I shot a ton of content last week, and and Zach, when's the first video come out? Tomorrow, right? Tomorrow, tomorrow's whiteboard Wednesday. Okay. Yeah. I I literally go through it and I explain the entire history of the OPC found the OPC standard. And then I go through in later videos and I explain the entire history of MQTT and it and its companion standards. And then on the board, I, I sort of stole from Jeff Schrader in a little bit, I borrowed from, but I, on the board, we go through and we lay out, we highlight the problems inherent with uh, OPC. Here, here's a really good example, one-way automation. Last week, Ravi, I don't know, is one-way automation is that the same? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> is he from one? Okay. Maybe. I don't, so I know. I don't know. I went back and forth with Ravil, not just myself, many members of the community went back and forth and what with Ravil in the Discord over last week, going over OPC UA. Okay. And and we were and and he, there were two things that stood out to me. Number one, we were using different definitions for the same word in some cases. Okay. Um, that's number one. Okay. And, and so in that case, we just have to agree on what, okay. Yeah, that's right. It's Rob. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then, and then, and then in the, and then, so in the case where we're using different definitions for the same term, okay, all we have to do is agree on the definition to solve that problem. And then we can get to the end. Okay. Number two was, and this was something that really stood out was there were many cases during the conversation where, um, where Ravil would say, well, X, Y, or Z is, is supposed to be possible with the OPC standard. 
right? X, Y, or Z is supposed to be possible. There was a, there was a, you know, a, um, you know, there was a reference he made to like a reverse handshake, a reverse callback, where he 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 referenced, he tried to reference that as, um, you know, he tried to conflate the the you know reverse callback in OPC with edge driven client connectivity in MQTT, right? Now, I, I, let me say this. I don't want to pit OPC UA versus MQTT, even though I do that sometimes. I shouldn't. People shouldn't do it. I shouldn't do it. There is a place for OPC UA, and there is, a, and there is a, a place for MQTT. I do not believe that OPC UA is going to die. I literally just got done explaining to my client here. Uh, you know, I literally drew up on the board very similar things that I drew last week, talk, talking about don't make this mistake. As you start scaling industry 4.0, don't, if you try to put, I showed where MQTT is over on that whiteboard over there. And then I, I showed where OPC is going to be used around the whiteboard over here. And I said, if you try to take OPC and put it over there where MQTT is, it's not going to work. It's not going to scale. Okay. You're going to have to spend a fortune in additional automation. Let me, let me say this. Let me say this. Ravil, I have no I have no financial benefit from MQTT. I don't. I don't make any money off of MQTT. I don't. Um, I, I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm just a, an architect. I'm an educator, and I'm an engineer who solves problems for my clients. And I use the best tool to solve their problem. Okay, um, that's what I do. I used OPC for the first. I used to say this a long time ago. Here's a really good example. They absolutely can replace each other in some cases. Um, so what he, uh, Ravil is saying, OPC UA and MQTT are not mutually exclusive. They can coexist in the same project. Absolutely. And in fact, we do that all the time. This architecture that we have here is OPC UA on the edge and MQTT everywhere else. Okay. I, the, literally the architecture we have here for this client. But what I will say is this, you can absolutely replace OPC UA with MQTT in 80% of your use cases. I mean, that's just a simple reality. And and I assure you, two years from now, the predominant function of OPC UA is going to be information modeling. It is not going to be data transmission. You are, it is not going to be OPC UA server and OPC client. What it's going to be is OPC UA information models from the companion specs being published via the part 14 standard if it ever gets modified and adopted over mqtt and it's going to be mtt5 okay so yes there are in, in 80 percent of the use cases you can take mqtt and replace opc ua with it where opc ua is really 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 strong this is opc ua's greatest strength is in the effort that they've put into creating a mechanism to drive information models direct from directly above the hardware layer where I don't have, and they shouldn't call it information model, by the way, it's a data model. It's not an information model. Okay. It's still raw data structured. So OPC strength is taking the raw namespaces that live inside PLCs and using the standard to create information models at the OPC server layer. Okay. Now, ideally, you would be serving that from PLCs, hardware. Why, you know, we ask this question all the time. Why, if OPC UA is so great, if OPC does solve everyone's problems, okay, then why has the adoption rate of OPC UA since 2008 been a fraction of the adoption rate of MQTT since 2013? The answer is this. The, 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 the answer is this. OPC UA standards, just words on paper. Okay. Organizations, you don't build problems. You don't solve solutions with words on paper. You cert, you solve problems with tools and get, taking the OPC UA standard, converting it into the useful tool for people like me and Matt Paris and Jeff Schrader and the members of these communities is not easy. Okay. Ravil, the part of the reason you are so invested in OPC UA is the amount of money and effort you have put into developing OPC solutions. And that's a problem with the OPC standard. 
that you have to send a ton of money to build those solutions. I wrote an MQTT transmitter in six hours. I wrote an OPC UA to MQTT gateway in four hours. Okay. I, I did the prototyping for putting in an MQTT spark plug B connector for a, um, an HMI appliance for a, a vendor. I can't tell you who they were, but I mentioned them all the time. I wrote that in eight hours. Uh, when easy automation added MQTT support to their easy rack PLCs, they had the prototype done in one day. Nobody is building an OPC server for their PLCs in one day. Nobody's doing that. And most of the time what these organizations are doing is saying the amount of time that we have to invest in implementing this software or in implementing this standard isn't worth it. It's not worth it. Let them buy, let them buy um, um, Kepware. I think uh, when he says, I think MQTT is usable in simple use cases. Is that a misconception? That's why, that's why it takes less time to use it. Let me, that's a, that's a common misconception. Okay. Let, let me, let me say this. The largest systems in the world, I, 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 I'm, we're talking Facebook, the largest, right. The largest enterprise systems in the world are, I, I mean, I've developed, I have designed, I've been the architect on a dozen of the largest systems on the planet. Ravil, do you realize that all of Philips 66's infrastructure is built on MQTT? And that was done in 1998. Ravil, that's not a proof of concept. That's the fucking company. It was the reason it was invented. Every time you get on Facebook Messenger, the billions of users, how many, they have a billion users, right? They have two billion users on Facebook, right? That's, they're communicating over MQTT. Okay, if you look at the largest standalone SCADA system in the world, 11 million tags, one server. 11 million tags, 2,000 users, 14,000 sites, 40,000 PLCs on an MQTT infrastructure. You simply cannot do that with OPC UA. It's not possible. Do you know how we know it's not possible? Because the team that tried to do it before us failed miserably and we were able to prove it empirically it won't scale right R ravel what's your thoughts on have you looked into the plc yep. next what are your thoughts on that platform or like you know what edge devices are you using OPC yeah, omar, on? Uh, omar ahmed that's a really omar very good point on bmw it's not just a lot of cars companies using mqtt to transmit data from the cars into their infrastructure it's basically every auto manufacturer I know of. I don't know of anyone who is not using MQTT, okay? And let me say this, any MQTT client, I, I, I go over this in the video. If, you, if I say I have an MQTT broker and I say that I have an MQTT client, there is 100% guarantee that I have interoperability. The only time that I could have an MQTT client that doesn't have interoperability with an MQTT broker is when one client is publishing data using the Sparkplug B standard and the other client doesn't have a Sparkplug B parser, but it can still see the payload. It may not be able to decipher the payload, but it can still see it. That is interoperability. I can take a broker from this client and then from that client and from that client and from Facebook and from you name it. And I can literally take the payloads from this broker, point them to that broker, and they are fully interoperable. That is interoperability. I want to share okay. something. I want to share something. Go ahead. Yep. Right, I'm going to share my screen. Are um, we boring so the audience with this conversation, Zach? No, but I think this, this if we were, this, hey, this should help are, out. No, are, are, we, are we boring? Are we boring? We've been able to retain the audience, so I, if we're, that's an indication that it's interesting. So, and, hold on a second. Let me finish. Let me finish this one point. Right. Um, Ravil, what I would say is this: you need to read John Rinaldi's Mia Culpa. John Rinaldi, who is listed as an OPC UA, a OPC expert on the OPC Foundation's website. Okay, 
John Rinaldi, who I met with three years ago and made my case for MQTT, and he told me, you know, I was wrong. And then he wrote a uh, like a newsletter saying MQTT is not the future. OPC UA is. Two years later, he writes a public mea culpa on LinkedIn. This is a guy who is literally listed as an OPC expert on the OPC Foundation's website. Okay, this is a guy just like you, real-time automation, builds products, usually standard, one-way automation, builds OPC products, just like you. He came to the exact same conclusion every single person comes to, and that is why do it in OPC UA when MQTT is here and it's available? Well, you know, you were talking about, hey, you can do stuff with MQTT. Um, we're still here because we value what's going to get talked about next, not this particular product. Um, yeah, the the the, yeah. the MQTT scales. What, what I'd like to say is this. Ravio, what I would like to do is say, I want to have a, conver a private conversation with you. And we can record it and we can, um, and we can, um, you know, um, you know, I'll, I'll try to win you over there. What I'll say is this. Many members of the community came through and, we're like, man, you know, um, you know, Ravil doesn't get it. I'm, I'm really frustrated. I'm, I've tried every way to explain it to him. He just doesn't seem to get it yet. And my response was this: Ravil's clearly a gifted guy, clearly, you know, gifted engineer, smart guy. He's going to come around. I, I also said this: it took John Rinaldi two years, two entire years, to come around. I just didn't talk to him anymore, right? I love DMP3, by the way. We are, we're, we, are um, boring, we are boring the audience. <laughs> okay. All right. I wanted to talk about right, this. You so, talked about OPC UA being highly leveraged for inf information models and then using MQTT for your transfer, transportation layer. Yep. This is something that uh, has been shared a couple of times in the Discord server, but I'll share it again here, is the Factory Plus open framework. Um, it's, change, it's a standard but it's actually it's taking some of the OPC UA information models. If you go look at the um, uh, specification here, you can actually see some of the um, some of the uh, payloads that actually are leveraging like there's like a CNC information model that's leveraging the uh, OPC UA. Um, I actually common data structures right here, right? So there's a CNC common data structure leveraging the OPC UA CNC companion specification. So now with this framework, you can actually take the best parts of the OPC UA information modeling and their companion specifications and use this framework that's, you know, you saw on this first page right here, recommended by Arlen Nipper, um, you know, to, to take a look at if you are starting your digital transformation journey, regardless of which vertical you are in, the factory plus specification is something that you should take a look at. So, excellent. All right, Zach, will you show my screen? I want to. I want to go ahead and answer the questions. There we go. All right. So, what I would like to do is set up a, a call with Raviel, and and we can just we should definitely record it for the community so they can see the answers. But um, if he, as long as he's cool with it. Um, all right. Question number one. Hi, Zach. One of the clients I work for is looking at a greenfield site to replace two existing sites. They're starting to discuss automation and electrical controls for the new site. What kind of approach should I take to get the foundations for Industry 4.0 at the forefront of their thinking when planning the new site, please? That's really easy. Answer number one is they have to go through a digital transformation maturity assessment. All right. So um, let me, and, and, and here's why. There is a roadmap for helping an organization transform. Okay. That the, the, the very first step in that process, okay, or the first milestone is what is our digital strategy, okay? Strategy is a one to three sentence statement that tells everyone in the organization, um, you know, how do we approach digital solutions? How are we gonna use data and information to innovate our business, okay? So number one, you gotta have a digital strategy, okay? Number two, you have to define what your minimum technical requirements are. So once you've created your digital strategy, now you design an architecture that will help you manifest that digital strategy. If the digital strategy is we make real time, we make our, we drive innovation by making real time decisions using real time data and information. 
then what I have to do is create an architecture that makes that possible. Okay. And then step three is to define the minimum technical requirements that help manifest that architecture. And step four is you pick your proof of concept. So to answer your question, what kind of approach I take to get the foundations for Industry 4.0 at their thinking, the first thing, they, they only know what they know. Okay. What you need is a professional. You need someone who can ascertain where they are, where they want to go, and draw them a vector to get them there. So there's no there's no quick way to get someone to start thinking about industry 4.0. You can you can share our videos, you can point them to our to the Discord server, you can point them to IoT.university, but at the end of the day, that client is going to need a DTMA that gives them a roadmap on what they should do, that shows them the technology they should leverage. Um, all right, Mark Pittout said one topic that's common in the OT world but not so much in the IT world is redundancy. Um, for example, PLCs often have hot standby variants and SCADA systems can often be configured with redundant servers. How can redundancy be implemented for MQTT brokers and the unified namespace while still ensuring data consistency between redundant pairs of brokers and unified namespaces? Um, or to word it differently, how should an edge device behave when an MQTT broker or unified namespace goes down is the only option store and forward or are there solutions that can provide higher availability? Great question, Mark. Okay. The answer is there are lots of things. So if you take a look at, you know, HiveMQ or you look at EMQX, EMQX specifically supports clustering. So think of it as um, very similar to the way SQL clustering works, where I may have many instances of the database running in the background, the instances, but I have one virtual host name, one host name that I connect to. And and there's a layer, you know, SQL Server will use a layer, you know, with perhaps always on replication to make sure that if this cluster goes down, it just routes me to the next one. So to the consumer, I don't know any difference. MQTT does the same thing. HiveMQ, oh, HiveMQ, HiveMQ also um, offers the same, um, the, the same technology. So does EMQX, okay? So they um, they create they use clustering technology to allow that to, to make that happen. Okay. Um, also, your MQTT clients can be configured to you can basically you can create um, uh, broker groups, and those broker groups allow you to point uh, an MQTT client to more than one broker. So uh, in priority, I can look at one broker and then fail over to the next. In nearly every one of our implementations, we're using many, many, many brokers, okay? Um, and we're using clustering technology for high availability. And, and when I say high availability, I'm saying, um, oh, when I say high availability, um, when I say high availability, I, I'm saying um, five nines uptime, 99.999. All right. John Patanian. Sorry, I was wearing a, um, a thing that they wanted me to take off. John Patanian said, I'm bringing in data and MES system into the UNS structure. My connection will be through a data set tag and ignition. My connection will be through a data set tag and ignition. Any strategies for doing incremental only data since last query queries to pull in data from tables into ignition? I'm bringing in data from MES. I don't understand the question, guys. I'm bringing in data from MES system into a UNS. My connection will be through a data set tag. So I, I have a data set tag where I'm running a query against the MES system and the result set is the stuff from the MES. Is John Patanian on the call? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if he is or not. This any, one any, is from a Any strategies back. for doing incremental, so only data since the last query to pull in data from tables into ignition? Um, yeah, that we should set up a call with John and I'll show him how to do it. Um, hello. It's all said that Paul Vitor, Paulo, it's often said that Tess, I have a couple of questions for Patanian to get clarification on what he's, I, what it sounds like is he created a data set tag in ignition. He's running a query against the MES system to bring back a result set in a data set tag. I see that. The, what the I would question say I'm not 
that what I'm not clear on is what does he mean by any strategies for doing incremental? So only returning the data since the last query to pull in data from tables in the ignition. The way that I would do it is I would do a um, I would do a diff. But um, if 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 only only thing that I want in the in the data set is data that changed since the last time I ran the query. Is that if, if that's what he's asking? One of no, the ways that I even, do is, I don't even think he's asking that. He's saying, can I optimize the query? So let's say I have a hundred rows in there. Can I optimize the query so I only bring back the next row? And the answer is not using prob probably not using the standard SQL query tag, but maybe using a Python script where you could where you could actually selectively query new data and then add it into the data set. If that makes sense. This is the this this is this is how I interpret what he's asking. Okay, he has a data set tag. Okay, he's got a data set tag, and that data set tag is select star from um, from table where you know whatever. Okay, or actually, it's probably select star from X, and that's got a big data set in it, right? What I would do is last query. Okay, so last query is a timestamp. And what I would do is I would say select star from X uh, where timestamp uh, is after. Uh, that's it. Yeah, that's beautiful. That would that would bring back the new data. And then you would just yeah. you'd have to use a you'd have to use like a Python script to then. Correct. I mean, you can do this in a UD. You could do this in a UDT. You could have a user defined data type. But like but that. but then how often would that query run then? What would trigger that query is the question. So this would be it would be based on the scan class. So if I yeah, scan class is a five second it's a five second scan class, it'll run every five seconds. If it's a if it's a um I mean there's a lot of them where people will say, you know, grab top or you know. Um there are there are also ways you can do that with SQL. Okay, but um, this is probably the way I would do it. That's nice. If, the, if, if that's the way that if that's the way he's asking, if that's what he's actually asking. Um, Paulo said, hello, it's often said that Tesla is a benchmark. Is there any documentation on how it's implemented? I remember someone saying that Tesla has this information available. If I'm wrong, please let me know as well. Thank you. Um, the answer is uh, Tesla makes all of their data available. Um, that's not IP. Um, everything that I have for Tesla is based on my own experience. It's not stuff that was publicly available. So, all right, any other questions? Um, industry 4.0 data set and uh, DTMA scoring. Do you want to talk about that now that we have that licensing agreement worked out? Uh, John right here. I think John refers to database sync when you want to bring only data you have not taken before. Right, there's a way to do it. I mean, you could do it on the SQL side, correct, Mario? You can, you can do it on the SQL side as well, in the query itself. Um, but the way that I would do it is I, the way that I would do it is I would drive it from the namespace so that I know one of the variables is the result set that I get, the result set that I get is a function of the fact that I only asked for something after this moment. So because that's context that I would care about. If I do it in SQL, if I say, if I say I only return something you haven't returned to this specific client before, that information, that context is, is, is on the, um, the SQL side. Right, that's on the SQL side. Um, but if I, if if my where clause is where the data is after this timestamp, then that that's information in my unified namespace that I can use later. It's context I can use later. Shout out to Omar for the super chat. 4.0 and IntelliC that's, are the present and the future. Shout out from Omar. Thank you, thank you, Omar, the man. We were going to bring Omar um, on the spotlight today, but it didn't end up happening because, you know. Go, go, Zach, what was, is, what was the question you were going to ask me? What does a DTMA stand for? Wait. 
Someone answered DTMA already. Stand, DTMA stands for Digital Transformation Maturity Assessment. It is essentially a, um, it's an assessment. It's an evaluation of an organization. And then it is a, it, where they're scored on 10 pillars, 10 industry 4.0 pillars. Um, and then that score is applied against the sample set where you run a normalized distribution. And it shows you, basically it shows the client really two things. Number one, where does their overall industry 4.0 fall, their industry 4.0 score fall along across all of industry in that sample set, okay? That's number one. Number two, you can also compare each of the pillars. So what was my score in this individual industry 4.0 pillar? And where does that pillar fall relative to the, the other people in the sample set? And then the last thing is the way you do that is through a 23 point questionnaire. And then there's a whole series of meetings with five cross functional groups. And then you do a bunch of breakouts. I mean, it's a very labor intensive process. Then there's an output and that output is a uh, digital transformation roadmap, which is basically here's where you are. Here's where you want to go. Here's how you should get there. And it includes architecture recommendation for proof of concept you know, what your digital strategy should be, what your minimum technical requirements should be. Question. Oh, that's, yeah. So we're talking about actually licensing that to run uh, the data set, right? We've talked about licensing the DTMA scoring um, to either a manufacturer who just wants to know, hey, I want to know what my score is. We can we can give you your score based on that, based on that uh, data set, or we can, with other integrators, Ideally, the, the ones that have been trained in our mastermind program on how to do DTMAs, we are now uh, offering the scoring component, right? We've talked about it before. We've got all the licensing in place to be able to get you your industry 4.0 score in a way that, um, you know, is highly valuable to your clients. Um, yes. Uh, Grish. Um I'm working on a Siemens Tim 1531 for DMP3 historical data, but I can't find proper help in online forums. Is it not very popular or am I looking at the wrong place? It's popular, but it's really popular in like the energy sector. So it's a small, it's a small cross section of um, industry in general. Um, if you want to send a, a Clarify your question in more detail with Zach, Zach and Vaughn through the Discord server. I can um, answer answer the question. Michael Dowdell is correct. I didn't want to chuck Siemens, <laughs> but yeah, good luck with getting the information you need on, on Siemens. But we'll be able to track it down for you if you if you reach out to us. Um, you can reach out to Zach or Vaughn, and they can get the question to me. Um, Alan Deval, you said we already have firmware implement SBB for the NX-102 controller. Yeah, we're working on a project right now where the 102s are um, the controllers um, for, again, a robotics automation project. And um, uh, we're working with Omron. Um, and I, I'm not the engineer working on it, so I, I would have to ask the architect who's doing it where, where, that, where that currently stands. Um, but yes, um, we're, we're working on a project where, where Omron is developing that that uh, MQTT support for Sparkplug B. Hopefully I'm allowed to share that. <laughs> uh, any other questions, Zach? Um, what can we what can we expect out of the uh, the EMQ sponsored series dropping tomorrow? The OPC UA, uh, great question. So what we talked about earlier is, all right, so what I, what, I, what we've done with the series is, um, what we've done with the series is we have, we're addressing some recommendations that Matt Paris made. So Matt Paris said, hey, you know, I think people are confused by some of the things that you said and you should clarify them in more detail. And I think the reason it's con there's um, confusion is because I'm speaking to a really broad audience. So in the in the OPC, you're welcome, Alan. If you want any details on it, I can I can follow up. I can ask the other engineer and get you the answer on where that where the firmware stands and you know how it's gone in testing, etc. 
Um, the I go into into great detail as to what it is the problems with OPC UAR, what the history is. Um, architecture, I actually draw up on the board like, hey, how does an OPC server work? Okay, you know, what, what are all the components? How is, you know, what's an object? What's a variable? You know, how do they interoperate with one another? How does a OPC client connect to an OPC server and retrieve the data? And, and I, I suspect, you know, when I do the, I do the same thing with MQTT later on, I suspect it should, it should make it very obvious to people who are having trouble connecting the dots as to what the differences are between the two. Let, let me say this though. Let me, let me say this on the OPC subject. Do you know that no one from the OPC foundation has ever um, offered to come on and rebut anything I say? You know, I mean, what the, the most that we'll ever get from someone from the OPC foundation to do is, hey, Walker, what you're saying is not true. You know, OPC UA is open. OPC UA <laughs> is, you know, they'll say it is report by exception. It is interoperable. It, you know, it is focused on interoperability. I mean, one of the things I talk about is, you know, why is the OPC foundation so bad at what they're doing? I mean, I literally talk about it. Like, you know, my, and the answer is Microsoft and Rockwell have too much of a say in the standard. Okay. And too much in the standard is optional. And now that's not to say that the working group hasn't hasn't been working very hard to move the standard in the right direction because I, I I actually think they have been working very hard to move to move in a in a, a, a um in a in a more interoperable direction. But let's say this: the OPC Foundation is not the remote is not primarily focused on interoperability for third party systems with an OPC ecosystem. That's not their primary focus. They're they're not focused on, oh, my audio is gone, Zach? No, no, it should be good. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm freaking out. Sorry. Well, yeah, Michael Mayher said no audio, audio is gone. Um, Got you. The, the OPC foundation is, con is concerned with interoperability between their partners products okay and i would take it even one step further to say audio's gone um got you the the opc foundation hey i, I hear an echo i right, turned yeah. on speaker off oh um interoperability but all the, these people are saying that they're they've lost audio um they're more concerned. I mean, here, here's the deal. Microsoft uses OPC UA for Microsoft to talk to, for Microsoft to talk to um, Microsoft products and Rockwell products. And they're not really all that concerned with being able to talk to other OPC stuff, right? And Rockwell really only cares about being able to use OPC UA for Rockwell to talk to other Rockwell products, right? And and it's it, it it's not it's not about creating an open ecosystem across all vendors. Um, it's it's about it's about it's about creating an, an ecosystem of OPC vendors, right? <laughs> Whereas, you know, where where OPC <laughs> member, yes, OPC equals OLE for process control. I actually go through that whole thing. What is object linking and embedding? I, I literally go through um, a Francisco Diaz. Which protocol would be better to use in machine learning apps? Fuck, man. There's only there's only one answer, and that is MQTT. I mean, that's I mean, hell, that's what everyone's using to stream the data. Another good place is I, I mean, is taking um, time series data and streaming time series um, into Kafka, and you know, using Kafka into data lakes. That's another good way. But you know, I would really say it's it's time series or it's MQTT topic payloads for uh, machine learning. Um, yeah, and, and correct, oh. um, Michael Dowdell. I go over um, 
I do, I do go over OPC, you know, OLE for process control. Well, you know what we should do for um, part of the EMQ sponsored series is hey, we should. But, hey, block the Michelle Mayer. Is your whole, I, I did. I put him in a timeout. Okay, good. What is your favorite Pokemon? All right, go ahead, Zach. All right. Um, I was thinking one of the things for the EMQ sponsored series is we should talk about all the products that they offer because, you know, we're familiar with EMQX, their enterprise broker, but they also have a few other products, namely Nano MQ, which is kind of like their lightweight edge broker, kind of similar to Mosquito. Um, Jalen was telling me about Neuron, which I hadn't even really looked into a whole lot yet, but it's like their kind of their edge gateway software. And then there's another one called HStream DB, which I'm thinking it's it sounds to me kind of like a similar to like a Kafka or some some sort of um, database streaming. Um, but yeah, it'd be cool to do like, you know, EMQ product ecosystem explained video or something like that, you know, just to get all the, you know, points out there. Let us okay. know if you guys would Is be it, interested in that. So Zach, you're, you're publishing, we'll be publishing the first video in that series tomorrow, correct? Correct. Okay. Come hell or high water. Come hell or high water. I'm doing, I mean, it's a video that I think everybody will want to see. It helps explain. Um, and then and the next big thing is the, the PLC next integration. But if we don't have any other questions, you guys have any other questions um, for me? Walker, do you, you sometimes use the bike? <laughs> what is your favorite Pokemon? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I'm not into Pokemon and, um, <laughs> What was the, what, do I sometimes use the bike? Yeah. I mean, I do actually. <laughs> well, okay. What about the other, the other day we had a question about like Coke versus Pepsi, but you just said my favorite soda is ginger ale or something. <laughs> it is. It <laughs> is. What is your, you know, thoughts on the co original Coke versus Pepsi uh, debate of the eighties and nineties? I was always a Coke guy. <laughs> I always thought Pepsi was too sweet. Um, you know, I mean, at, at the end of the day, I was, you know, I was always a Coke guy. Pepsi was a copier, right? I mean, I, you know, the, 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 I can't believe I'm even talking about this. Coca-Cola was, you know, one of, you know, one of the first soft drink manufacturers based in Georgia. It's the re Coke is the reason that Ty Cobb, who was a baseball player, was like a gazillionaire. Um, really? And yeah, yeah. That's how Ty Cobb became a gazillionaire. He, he invested in Coke, like real, like in 1905. And he was, he used to walk around with a hundred thousand dollars in cash, um, you know, seriously, like in a bag with a pistol, you know, um, Pepsi, Pepsi just caught Pepsi just copied Coke. If you want like the, the industry leaders, it's Dr. Pepper, it's Coke. Dr. Pepper was one, another original one way. Thank you for checking out EMQX guys. Please support the sponsors of the channel. It really does help out. Um, yeah. So he said EMQX is repeating the OPC UA path, introducing nano. They've got a, they've got a pretty interesting architecture with products at every, you know, cloud and edge and in between. So yeah, um, I would yeah. definitely say so and Ravil, let me let me make this clear. Like when you when we talk about like the strength of OPC UA, it is not interoperability. I mean, because honestly, OPC UA just isn't really good at it, right? Um, get rid of the boss van den Talar person too. Um, the 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 information models right that that is the strength I, I think that that's what the opc foundation has done a great job with especially the um, you know the folks who write the companion specs i think there are too many companion specs but mm -hmm. i i think information modeling I, I mean, everyone would agree that information modeling is the strength of um is the strength of opc ua and, and 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 if it's me if i'm if I had a voice with the OPC Foundation, which I don't because Microsoft and Rockwell and, you know, Beckoff and those guys, obviously Beckoff has got a huge voice, right? Um, they, if I had a voice, I would, you know, I'd go back through and, and I would strip out a lot of the technical debt that's in the spec. We kind of go over like where that technical debt came from in the UA spec proper. Um, we go into industrial use cases, but Francisco, yeah, I'd, have we done a survey? I'd rewrite part 14 in, in terms of su survey of usage. So that is usage of MQTT and, and uh, over OPC. 
Yeah. Other than the 11, um, out, of, 11 out of 12. <laughs> uh, which machine learning product to easily train the model with live data from the plant whenever I want and use that trained model to classify normal and anomaly in real time? Uh, Sorba IoT is going to be the easiest one. So Sorba, so Grish, look up a tool called Sorba IoT, S-O-R-B-A, IoT. The integration is kind of, you know, I mean, there's, you know, there's a large, there's a pretty long learning curve to, to learn how to use the platform. But what you're talking about is what Sorba was built for. S-O-R-B-A, IoT. They're based in Florida in the United States. Very impressive platform. Nice. There's other tools out there. I'm just pointing out Sorba. But Sorba is the one that I, I, I would test first. Um, get rid of that Michelle guy. Yeah, Zach. I did. Hold on. Let me block him again. Block him. Um, all right, great. Um, all right, we're all, I'm all done here. All right, thanks so much, guys, for joining today. Um, see you guys next week. Hey, Zach. Make this video unlisted. Don't right. make this video unlisted and um, 